Blog Talk Radio. We do this for the people, we empower people. We do this for the people, we embrace freedom. We do this for the people, we empower people. We do this for the people, we embrace freedom. We do this for the people, we create it equal. Talking about the subject that'll help you be a leader. It's time to use your mind instead of killing people. The strongest man alive is the one who's thinking. It's time to show some pride. Good evening. Thank you for joining us again. Sunday night. Welcome back. This is your boy Anthony Armand, We the People Radio. Tonight I am joined by the always beautiful Miss Ramona Shanae. Good evening, everybody. I have Mr. Ray on here as well joining us. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And Mr. Warren Bellamy. Hello, hello. And for all who have called in to, to, to listen and talk to Mr. Harris, we will have him on in just a minute. We're going to bring him on, allow him to give out some information to you. Um, if you have any questions or anything, you can always call in. The number is 646-668-8479. Ask him anything that you need to um, and get a good banter back and forth and see what we can do. Right now, we're going to take a little break. I'm going to step away with some Marvin Gaye, and we're going to be right back as soon as he is done. Uh, a little mercy, mercy me.
and that was Marvin Gaye. And welcome back. This is We the People Radio. This is your boy Anthony Armand once again. Please call in 646-668-8479. And we are here tonight with Mr. Sean J. Harris. And let's see what's going on. So, Mr. Harris is a sought-after award-winning keynote speaker, a 27-time best-selling author, as well as a world-renowned businessman, and he also happens to teach wealth building and building general generational wealth and financial literacy. And right now, we're going to turn it over to you, Mr. Harris. You've got the mic. Hey, good evening, everyone. Thank you, Anthony, for having me on. Uh, Ramona, Ray, and Warren, greetings to you all as well, and uh, just excited to be here. And I uh, just wanted to share a little bit of information with the audience, uh, give a little background about myself, and then I guess we can just kind of go into a little bit more detail with questions and answers. Uh, but originally, I am Sean J. Harris. I am from Atlanta, Georgia, and I hail from a family of entrepreneurs. And uh, my family, my great uncle and aunt, actually owned one of the first African-American-owned hotels here in Atlanta in the Auburn Avenue district during the pre-Civil uh, Rights era. And they also owned the only black-owned taxi company. And uh, subsequent to that, both my parents owned companies growing up. So I come from a long lineage of um, entrepreneurial background. So uh, my wife and I today, we own seven corporations, uh, span the globe. And we have a nine- and eight-year-old son and daughter who own their own companies as well. And uh, they've built six-figure brand businesses so I'm um, here to share some information and explain why it's important to have generational wealth, what generational wealth is, and uh, why it's important for everyone to capitalize on that now, whether it's with their uh, their kids or their grandkids as far as setting up a legacy. That sounds awesome. It is such an awesome thing. And also um, – Warren, thank you also for joining tonight um, because having both of your brains to pick tonight is such an awesome thing. I'm very excited. I know um, the listeners will be very excited as well. Um, I I and Anthony had a wonderful chance to meet uh, Mr. Harris at the the International List Tour in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. And just the the amount of knowledge that he dropped um, in the few – um, then it's like he had a chance to speak with us. I believe it was a two-day event, but um, there was just like time slots. But we definitely wanted to ensure that we had the opportunity to bring him on to We the People Radio, um, not only just because, um, you know, especially in the African-American community, and I know we're a show about all people um, for the people, but, you know, just some of the things that he dropped in, in I would say in my spirit, because, you know, I'm the spiritual one, um, was just an excellent opportunity um, for us. One thing that we have always said about We the People, we want to change the poverty mindset. And if you don't know how to, if you, if you don't know anything about money um, at all, period, whatsoever, tonight is definitely a night that you want to tune in. If you have questions that you want to ask, you definitely want to tune in. You want to shoot me text messages for those who have my number or Anthony's number, you definitely want to send the messages um, tonight. Um, because uh, a lot of things that we have found is that people might, some people might know about investments, some people 
want to invest, they don't know how. We have um, people who are in bankruptcies or people who are getting out of debt or don't know how to get out of debt. But either which way it goes, they all have a common goal. They want to change their future. They want to no longer live the way that they have or, you know, they they want something better for, you know, whether it's houses, whatever it may be. I know, you know, prior to me getting married and when I was a single mom, Um, The one thing that I've always said is I want to work so that my children don't have to work as hard as I have had to do, and that was just my mindset. I didn't know how, what, you know, all the questions, you know, that many single mothers have, you know, what to do, how to do, whatever. I just thought that 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 principal practice was just go get multiple jobs, work all day, and um, continue working all day. And then your children will live a better life. Now that my kids are grown, or our kids are grown, um, what I found out was that we missed so many key opportunities in their lives while trying to make this better life for them that um, it actually caused us to miss wonderful times growing up with our kids. But we ended up being more tired than anything. So with that said, um, we're going to go ahead and turn it over to Mr. Harris. And so that way he can drop some of these knowledge pearls on us. If you don't have something to write with, make sure you get something to write with because there's going to be a lot of great information between him and um, Warren tonight. There's going to be so much information dropped tonight. So I'm very excited. And thank you both for being a guest of We the People Radio tonight. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Um, One of the key things I always ask my clients uh, and audiences that I speak to when I first sit down with them is to ask, why? What is your why? You know, a lot of times we want to go to school, get good grades, go to college, whatever, and start our professions, and ultimately it's to create income, but one of the key things we have to ask ourselves is why do we want to create the income? It's not necessarily just the income, it's what we can do with the income. So I always like to start um, with the dream. And, you know, growing up, I my, my dad told me the same things that most of you guys already heard. Uh, go to school, get good grades, uh, you go to college, get a good job, and so forth. But here's what I found out. That um, that thought process, it no longer worked as it was designed to work when we first heard it uh, many uh, decades ago. I'm 47 now, so I heard this talk 25, 30 years ago. But you know, my dad also gave me those three choices that most all guys get when we're like 16 or 17 years old, and that is, son, you have three choices. When you graduate from school, you can either go to college, you can get a job, or you can go to the military. So I figured that I wanted to take a break from school. I didn't want to continue on going to college, so I didn't take that choice, and I don't like being told what to do, so I didn't want to go to the job route. So I went to the United States Air Force, and lo and behold, they still told me what to do. But I do have a background in aerospace propulsion, aeronautics, all that high-fluting aircraft-type stuff. But I just remember when I was in the Air Force, I had a base commander. He had been in the military for 31 years, and I remember him coming up to me and saying, hey, Airman, if you work hard, put in the work like I did, in 30 years, maybe you too can command a military base. And I, I, I thought about that for a quick second, and then I realized that this guy wasn't living the lifestyle that I wanted. He was always traveling, spent countless uh, days, weeks, and months away from his family. 
and the pay just wasn't commiserate to to what he was doing. So I didn't want to go that route. And I remember as a kid, I always wanted to uh, get into law enforcement. So when I got out of the military, that was the first thing I did. I, I got into law enforcement, I guess, just to kind of get that out of my system. So I spent a few, quite a few years in law enforcement. But there came a time where I realized that my trigger finger was my future in law enforcement and that it, it relied on my physical ability to perform. Just like most people, the way we make income is based on our physical ability to perform. So I had to ask myself, you know, if something happened to me significant where I had sustained um, a serious injury, what would I do to create income? What would I do if I couldn't work in law enforcement any longer? So I had a buddy of mine. His name is Jeff. He was a police officer as well. And I remember seeing Jeff coming to work. He would drive differently than the rest of us. His, his vehicle started upgrading. I noticed that Jeff moved into a nicer neighborhood. And I asked him one day because I was like, Jeff, the money you make here in law enforcement doesn't afford you the lifestyle that you're living. What are you doing? So Jeff told me one day, he's like, hey, uh, we'll sit down and go to lunch one day, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it. So he kind of put me off for a little while, and, you know, I kept asking him. I said, look, Jeff, seriously, tell me what you're doing. So Jeff sat me down and shared with me uh, about the real estate industry. So he told me that there was a profession in real estate that was home inspection. So I looked into that and uh, got started with that immediately. And what I quickly discovered was that in one day, I could make what it took me a whole pay period in law enforcement to make. So quickly, I started building that business. And I guess about three months later, I noticed that Jeff started increasing his lifestyle even further. So I was like, okay, what's my next step? And what Jeff did at that time, he just kind of said, look, you need to go ahead and get your real estate license at this point. So I did that, and relatively short period of time, I would say maybe seven or eight months after being full-time in real estate, I was able to walk away from the sheriff's department because I had um, almost tripled my income. So, you know, a lot of times people, we are taught certain things, certain elements of what we're supposed to learn and how we're supposed to learn it and what type of career we're supposed to have based on society standards. And uh, I, again, I remember in the 11th grade, I was preparing for the 12th grade, I had a school, high school counselor, guidance counselor. And uh, I'm sure many of you guys remember sitting down with a guidance counselor and them telling you what your projection should uh, look like. And I remember my counselor, Ms. Byron, she sat me down in her office. I remember it was freezing cold in there, and I sat in this big old leather chair, and I kept sliding off the chair. But she said, Sean, and, and keep in mind, I was a C student. You know, I just wanted to see my way out of school and never to return. So she told me, Sean, based on your grades, the most you'd amount to is being a warehouse worker. And as you can imagine, that's not something that, you know, a, a person at that point in their life really wants to hear. So needlessly, I went on to the Air Force and um, had a hard profession, which was aeronautics, which uh, required a lot of brain power. So that lets you know that I was very smart when I wanted to apply myself. I could get an A at any time. But I just didn't see how the War of 1812 or algebra or chemistry would help me as an adult, particularly when it came to creating income. So um, there came a day in law enforcement where – I just had enough pretty much and wanted to own my own life 
and called the shot. So I subsequently left law enforcement, started my own real estate career at that point, and then just continued to grow. And one thing I want to share with your listeners, too, is we have uh, three different types of education. And the first type I want to share with everyone is what's called a academic or scholastic education. And what this is, is pretty much where we learn our reading, writing, and arithmetic. And this is designed pretty much to put us in a position where we're going to exchange our time for someone else's money, i.e. a job. And most of the time when we get in a position, we find ourselves, if we're not making enough money, the first thing we tend to do is we want to go get another job. And that means we're going to spend more time for more money. But here, here's what I recognize. I realized that time was far more valuable than money. And here's why I said that. You know, you can walk down the street, lose $20 right out of your wallet, out of your pocket, out of your purse, and that money can be re-earned. It can actually be remanufactured. But from the time you woke up this morning to this current hour, you cannot get that time back. So once time is spent, it's gone forever. So, you know, when we go to a job and we exchange our time, which is far more valuable than the money that they're exchanging with us, you know, that that's not an equal exchange of goods, if you will. So it's kind of like trading a Pinto for a Ferrari. You know, that just doesn't pass the common sense test. So the second type of education I want to share with the listeners is what's called a professional education. And a professional education is an education where we tend to uh, hone in on our craft or our skills. We get a specialized training, whether it's to be a physician, an attorney, an engineer, or anything like that where you're typically going to be a licensed uh, person uh, and go to college for that. Now, in this position, you'll tend to make more money. However, it's going to take more of your time to make more money. And you find people getting burnt out in this position, uh, end up switching careers. So, you know, that's kind of like the same boat. And those are the two systems that were taught in the school system. But if you remember, I said there's three types of education. And the third type of education, which were not taught in any school system here in, uh, in the U.S., is what's called a financial education. So typically, you know, I like to give this analogy to people. If I say, Padre Francais, Habla Espanol, Kanichiwa, these are three different languages that I'm speaking. And, in fact, if you're placed in these lands where these languages are spoken, but you don't speak that language, you're going to have a hard time coping. You can't communicate effectively. You're going to have um, bad results. So the same holds true with finances. If we're placed in a world or a land of finances and we don't speak that language, we're not literate in that language, we're going to have a hard time coping. And this is the problem that we find in uh, America where we don't have the financial literacy, uh, particularly to compete with uh, a global economy, because kids around the world, they're learning financial literacy. They're learning uh, business acumen and increasing their business and financial savvy. So in this particular situation, when you start learning about finances, you start learning jargon, uh, financial words and, and definitions, you tend to get to a point where you can now compete at a higher level. At this point, this is where you start developing businesses. This is where entrepreneurs uh, find their space of excellence. So at this uh, type of education, also for financial education, this is typically self-taught. Again, it's, it's not taught in schools. And I often get clients to tell me, well, Sean, I have a, uh, an MBA or I have a uh, degree in business administration. 
and what I quickly reference to them is just take a look at what your degree says. It says business administration, which means you administer a business, but it does not tell you that you know how to develop a business. It's pretty much just you're operating and running and managing someone else's business. So, you know, that's not the same as starting uh, a business from its inception, growing it and scaling it to a profitable uh, organization. So those are the three types of education that you have. So, you know, I, I want to bring that as a point just to have our listeners to realize where are you currently? Because, you know, we can't if, – if you go from your home to, let's say, Disney in Florida, well, if you put it in your GPS, your GPS is going to ask you, well, where's your starting point? So we have to know where we are. We have to have the ending in mind, but we have to also have a starting point to reference where we're going and which direction we're going to get there. So that's um, the three types of education I want to talk about. And uh, I want to talk about three changes that I made that made all the difference in the world when it came to uh, changing my financial structure. You know, uh, the first one I, I changed was what I read. And this is super important because what goes into our ear and our eye gates is going to be a reflection of who we are, what we are, and the outcomes that we're going to have. So oftentimes I, I tell my clients, you know, if you show me your top five people that you associate with on a regular basis, I can tell you exactly who you are. And with that, you know, it's always said, if you hang around nine broke people, guess who's going who's gonna to be number 10? So, you know, power of association is, is critical. And that's the second uh, thing that I changed was who I associated with. You know, um, you have to put yourself in a situation well, I like to say, you know, dummy down, but smart enough at certain points. And what I mean by that is, you know, if, you, if you're the smartest person in your room, in your sphere of influence, in your pond in which you swim in, you're going to have some problems. You know, you want to always be able to sharpen your iron off someone else's iron because rust promotes rust. So if you're hanging around a lot of people who uh, don't know any much more about finances than you do, you're going to be in a world of trouble. You know, it's kind of like people always tell me, well, Sean, I want to own my own business, but my coworker told me this, my neighbor told me that, or my family member told me this. And the first thing you have to ask yourself is, well, what is it that they do for a profession? And if they're working in a cubicle next to you, you know, how much more about finances or business do they know more than you? So, you know, you have to be very particular who you receive your information from. So the power association is going to be powerful. And the third change um, that I made was what I did with my time. More importantly, what I did with my spare time, you know, oftentimes people will say, well, Sean, I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to start my own business. I don't have enough time to uh, research this or that. However, we all have the same 24-hour uh, allotment of time. So it's how you use your time. If you've been a good steward of your time and using it effectively. And uh, one thing I do is I uh, use what's called mini days, mini, M-I-N-I days. And with that, I can conduct one day's worth of work from 6 a.m. to 12 noon. I think that anybody should never get a whole day's worth of work before 12 o'clock. Um, then from 12 noon to 6 p.m., you can actually start projects that you're going to do the next day. So effectively, you've put two full days into a 12-hour compressed time block. Then from 6 o'clock until midnight, you can do whatever you want to do, spend time with the family, 
uh, prepare for the next day, research uh, business ideas, um, spend time with the family. That's real important to me, spend time with the family. And then from midnight to six in the next morning, you still got an adequate six hours of sleep. So when you look at this, what that effectively does, it gives you three full days for every one day. So you can effectively put three days into an 18-hour block of each day. So what this does, in 30 days, you've just given yourself three months for every 30 days that you operate. So at the end of the year, instead of having 365 days, you have an excess of 1,000 uh, days within one calendar day. So that's how you beat the time clock, and that's how you keep your competitors from ever catching you because you're using your time efficiently uh, and effectively. So um, those are three things I think are, are very uh, instrumental in developing your wealth. And uh, I want to share three money skills real quick, and I want to open it up and have uh, some questions uh, if you guys don't mind. So the, the three money skills I want to talk about, the first one is what's called uh, creating a high-income skill. You have to be able to make money, first of all. Now, when I say a high-income skill, you know, you may say, well, Sean, I, I make a lot of money on my job. I have a high-income job. But that's not the same thing because no matter – if you're working a job, no matter how much money you make, at any time the plug can be pulled and that income can stop instantly. So here's what a high-income skill is. A high-income skill is a skill set that you possess that is transferable, which means you can take it with you wherever you go. You can either work for a different company uh, with that skill, but you want to be to a point where you are – uh, somewhat indispensable, where you can't just be easily replaced. But typically, a high-income skill would be someone who is an entrepreneur, self-employed, or business owner. And at this point, you're able to create at least $10,000 a month or $120,000 a year um, as, as, at a beginning point. So that is what's considered a high-income skill. It's uh, sort of like most, most of the listeners here, I'm sure, can ride a bicycle, uh, many of us who are over the age of 12 probably hadn't ridden a bicycle in decades, but if we go out in the front yard, we can surely still ride a bicycle because it's, an, it's a skill that we have, we've acquired over the years, and typically with the skill, you just simply don't use it. Um, like myself, I have a background in aerospace, propulsion, aeronautics. I have not physically touched an aircraft in 25 years as far as uh, maintenance or an inspection on an aircraft. However, if if I'm on a stranded island with a bound plane, I will be able to get back home because the skill set is still within me. So that's the first uh, money skill that you want to master and, uh, to be able to create wealth. Second thing you want to do is you want to be able to keep money, hold on to money. But we don't, we don't save money just to save money. We want to save money to be able to invest it, to be able to, to park that money where it's going to give us return on investment or, or a ROI. Um, two, two ways that I look at money, I look at money as uh, Frisbee money, and I also look at as money as a boomerang money. And I want to share with you what Frisbee money is first. Just like a Frisbee, when you were a kid, you throw a Frisbee. Uh, if no one catches it, it lands on the ground, and it sits there. So uh, Frisbee income or Frisbee money is money that goes out, and it just it sits there. It doesn't do anything for you. No return on investment. Boomerang money is just like the actual boomerang. You throw a boomerang, ideally, if thrown properly, that boomerang should return to the sender. So boomerang money is money that we deploy or capital that we deploy out 
and it goes out and brings its friends back, or as I like to say, it brings back prisoners. Uh, two to three dollars for every one dollar go out. It's a great return on investment. So uh, when money goes out, we want it to come back just as a boomerang. So these are two ways that I look at money. So when, when you invest money, you want to invest money in, in smart investments. Uh, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit in the show. But, you know, a lot of times people say, well, Sean, I, I also don't know how to invest. I've never checked up stock market. I, I don't know anything. And there are some things that I recommend as far as uh, first-time investors or you just want to get your feet wet in the stock market as one form of investing, you can use uh, different apps such as Acorns, um, what's another one, uh, Acorns, Robinhood, Stash. These are some of the basic ones that people use where uh, I know like Acorns, and I think Stash started recently, where you can connect it to your debit card. So it's kind of like a roll-up system. If you go to a store and you purchase something for $1.90, it'll roll up to the next dollar. So $0.10 cents will go into your investment account. And uh, Acorns app invests in some of the top Fortune companies, uh, Fortune 500 companies out here, and it invests for you. So this is a great start that you can just start developing your, uh, your acumen when it comes to stock investing. Uh, same holds true with Robinhood and Stash as well. They work very similar. Um, and I think Robinhood, you're able to kind of choose your investments in that app. So that, that's a unique feature that that one has uh, that I think is, is pretty cool. Um, other investments, uh, the, the most lucrative and the most solid foundational investment is always real estate. Real estate has stood the test of time since the beginning of time. Um, you, you know, a good example of that is, you know, in, in our culture, uh, I'm African-American, in our culture, we've always been led to believe if we're going to invest in real estate, we, we're going to invest in a single-family uh, dwelling, which typically, I'm just going to give you some examples. Let's suppose that you had an investment property and you owe the bank $500 for your mortgage to the bank. Well, if you bring in a tenant, you'd probably be able to charge them seven, $800 tops because they figure if I'm going to pay any more than that, I'll just go get my own home. So you're probably going to make about a $200 uh, immediate gross profit or IGP. But you also have to factor in this doesn't account for any incidentals or maintenance that you'll uh, incur. So, you know, you can go the whole year and let's say if you're making $200 a month, at the end of the year, you make $2,400, but something as simple as a furnace can cost you $3,500 to $5,000. So you can see how that can effectively wipe out your earnings for two years uh, on your investment property. So the more intelligent thing to do is to invest in a multifamily unit, uh, at least a duplex, but more ideally shoot towards a quadplex. And here's why. If you're in a situation where um, – you have a, a quadplex or even a tennis unit. A tennis unit is one of the old-style apartment buildings where you have five units on the bottom, five up top. You come in the front door and you go straight out the back to the back door, just a straight shotgun unit. But if you acquired a property like that, as a matter of fact, I had a, my cousin, she acquired a property uh, many years ago where the entire building cost her $189,000. Tenant number one in that building covered the mortgage for the entire building. Tenant number two, that rent paid for all incidentals and maintenance. 
So tenant number three through 10 was straight profit. So you understand the difference in deploying your capital. So again, if you had a multi uh, a single family unit, you could have um, got that unit for $190,000, or you could take that same $190,000 and get a multifamily unit. So that's what I mean when I say you want to deploy your funds intelligently uh, with the best and highest use uh, of that capital. So with the multifamily unit, you're you're in a position where you can either live in one in one unit, you're the landlord, you don't have to let anyone know that you're the landlord, but you're able to um, create capital that you can now start using to put into other investments. And that's the third money skill, which is to multiply your money. You're going to be in a position where you can grow your income effectively with uh, great returns on investments. And uh, there's just there's so many different variables that I can share as far as being able to create income, things like the deal syndication. This is something that our culture really have to start honing in on and, and understanding how that works. And um, that, that that's a great tool to use to be able to create and raise capital without capital. So that's something that I teach my clients. And typically I don't teach them that until I've taught them how to effectively make money with money. And then we start um, going into further details as far as how to how to create income um, without income. So, uh, Anthony, if you if you would, I'd like to take some questions from some of the uh, listeners, and I have a ton of more information I want to share out, but I want to just kind of take a break there to let people ask some questions. Okay, we do have one. We have a, a message that came in and said, "How can we invest if we work a basic job?" When you're talking about real estate investment. Great question. Um, the best way to uh, invest if you're working a regular job is, first of all, we have to find our indiscretionary income. I wrote a book called Where's My Hidden Income? And in that book, I talked specifically about being able to find that capital um, that we all have. You know, um, I, I'm probably the only person in our culture that you know that probably never owned a pair of Jordans. So I'm going <clears throat> to use Jordans as an example. The tennis shoes. I don't even know how much they cost, but I remember at one point it was $200. I think they're more than that now, but let's just kind of keep it at that number. So if, if you have $200. Let me just jump in, Sean. You, I'm, I'm, yeah. Sean, I'm sorry. This is Warren. I just wanted to jump in, man. We need to start a club about the never owning a pair of Jordans. Sorry. I just need to hey, throw hey, that in there. Let's do it, man. Let's definitely do it. So with, uh, so with the Jordans, if, if they're $200, you know, that $200 in almost every state in the U.S., with the exception of like three states, you can get an LLC. That's the beginning. I always recommend that everyone get an LLC, whether you own a business or not. It's important to have an LLC, and it's also important for your children to have LLCs. Uh, an LLC gives you leverage and tax advantages. And, and here's why I say that. Let's take an example of an employee who makes $100,000 a year. Let's take a self-employed person who makes $100,000 a year. Well, the person who's employed who makes $100,000 a year, they're taxed right up front, right around the 37% to 40% range. So effectively, this person from January the 1st will work through May before they start earning money. So it's equivalent to you working for the first four months of the year before you started creating income. So Uncle Sam has gotten their money up front. 
but it's not over. Because now when you leave work and you stop by the grocery store to grab some eggs, milk, and cheese, you're paying tax on post-tax dollars. You've already been taxing that money, but there's another tax on the back end of the item that you bought. You get gasoline. There's another tax on that. So you're continuously being taxed. Now, if we flip the script and we go over to the, uh, the business owner, the employed person, entrepreneur, this person has $100,000, but they get to spend or invest moving their money throughout their business throughout the entire year. So at the end of the year, let's just suppose they only had $25,000 left over. You know, they may have bought a new vehicle for the company, uh, office equipment, training courses, books, just whatever. They, they, they've enjoyed life. At the end of the year, they only have $25,000 left over. That is what they're taxed on. They're only taxed on what's left over. So as business owners, we're able to enjoy our money and account for what we want to at the end of the year uh, within reason, and then that's what we're taxed on. You know, a, a great example this year, uh, well, let's see, about seven weeks ago, I took my entire family, went to South America in, in uh, Cartagena, Colombia, and I actually rented out an entire island. Uh, we had our own captain, had our own boat, speedboat, yacht, cooks, everything. We had the entire island to ourselves. Uh, about three weeks ago, my wife and I, we just got back from Barbados. Now, when you look at that, it says, well, son, you, you were out traveling and entertaining and having fun. Yes, we were. However, I looked at some real estate properties in both countries that I visited, so that effectively made that a business meeting with the CEO uh, and the CEO of our corporation. So that becomes a tax write-off. So any uh, lodging, travel, uh, business, luncheons, or dinners, this is all tax deductible. But you can only do that if you're a business entity. But you can still do that. That's why I'm saying it's important. Whether you have a job, a career, you still need an LLC just for that purpose, uh, being able to capitalize on the tax system. So when it comes to investing like that, you know, they, there's money sitting all around. You know, I, a lot of people, they drink coffee. They drink Starbucks coffee, as an example. And you're talking about 5 to $8 a cup. And most Starbuckians, I just made that name up, but most Starbuckians, uh, they tell me they drink at least two cups a day. They have one in the morning and either one at lunch or one uh, heading in from work that evening. So you're effectively, let's just say that you, you get a bagel with it. So let's just round that up to $20 a day. So if you're doing that times five days a week, we're talking about $100 just in coffee. So that's $400 a month. So there's mm -hmm. investing money right there. You know, uh, being able to buy now, tennis shoes. Now, that, John, you're, you're stepping yes. on my toes right now because, you know, coffee is <laughs> my favorite thing. And, and I know you're on the flow, but I just want to say you're totally stepping on my toes right now. I'm just saying. I, now, I'll let you finish. Now, now here's the deal, Ramona. You can still drink coffee but get it and make it yourself. That's what I tell my clients. You know, I got some clients that right. love Starbucks. I have some that, that love Dunkin' Donuts. And from my understanding, they mm -hmm. say Dunkin' Donuts is actually better than uh, Starbucks. So we're going to save that for people, another day, though. <laughs> I got you. But, yeah, man, just make the coffee at home. Make the coffee at home and, and still enjoy uh, that particular vice. Because, you know, we all have our vices. You know, my, my, my guilty pleasure is neckwear and timepieces. I, I collect ties and watches. 
And my wife, she always tell me, mm-hmm. no ties today if I'm going in, in a store. So, you know, but and here's the thing with that. When buying your luxuries, you always want to use your assets to buy the luxuries. It's never, never anything wrong with buying luxuries. Let's just use our assets to pay for them. And, and here's a good example. Let's suppose a person said, and I had a client ask me, Sean, I, I want to buy this sports car. It's a, it's a Porsche, and it costs X amount of it. It costs like $80,000, the one that he wanted. And he had the money in the account. I was like, well, you can go get it tomorrow morning if you want to. Or we can take that 80000 and you can buy an asset-producing income, i.e., a piece of real estate, and we'll let the real estate uh, now purchase the Porsche for you. Now, in 18 to 24 months, 36 at the latest, you now have your Porsche paid for, but you still have the asset-producing income, which was the piece of real estate. See, so we can always uh, do what's called immediate gratification, and we can just go out and buy it right away, or we can deploy our funds to make it work for us and buy that asset-producing income, whether it's uh, real estate investment, whether it's uh, another type of wealth tool. Uh, it could be uh, precious jewels. It could be cryptocurrency. Whatever that particular tool you're going to use, uh, I've just found that real estate is going to be your strongest and most solid form of uh, leverage when it comes to, to being able to invest. So, you know, to answer that question, to, to work a, a regular job, full-time career, there's so much capital that's there. We just have to find it. So what I do with my clients, I, I sit down and we analyze, do a budget, and we, we find so much capital. And here, here's the home run here. Here's the home run takeaway. When we can come collectively and do what's called prosuming or become a prosumer and do group economics, now we can come together and say, hey, look, I got a couple hundred. You got a couple hundred. This person has a couple hundred. So you effectively create a small crowdfunding just within your family or your friends or coworkers, and now you can go in and buy a building together. Because, see, here's the deal. An individual alone may say, well, I can't buy this apartment building or this uh, this quadplex. But effectively, if we all come together and say, hey, look, we got 10 investors who are all willing to put in $500, $1,000 or whatever. And keep in mind, one person may say, well, look, I can put in $2,000. Another person may say, I can only put in $500. Well, that's where you start dividing the equity stakes. So this person will have... Uh, 10% ownership. This other person may have 5% ownership. You just have to break down the ownership um, structure and create a um, an agreement amongst all the investors. So now you have 10, 15 investors all putting in $500 to $1,000. That's enough money where we can now go put down a nice down payment on the property. So at this point, we all have ownership in the property, and once it starts creating income, for the investment group, now everyone is making enough capital where you can now go out and then purchase your own. So we use this one fund or this one project that's building as a group uh, investment with the aim of each individual investor being able to conduct their own investment, or at least we can um, make that investment cluster a little smaller. So uh, Bob may get with Mary and Derek and say, hey, look, it's three of us. I got this other property. Let, let's go in on it together. And then you can continue segueing out of that position to where you can now do cash deals by yourself. And here's why that's important also to create uh, the group economics. There's going to be times where 
all you guys would be doing your own investment, but there'll be a time where is there, there, there's a great deal that comes on the table, but you can't do that deal by yourself. So at that point, you can now collaborate with other uh, investors and do group deals. So hopefully that, that answers that question for you. All right. And I do have a caller out of Florida that is on. Caller, you are on now. And you can go ahead with your question for Sean. Great. The information that you've given so far has been right in target with what I was thinking. But I have a question. What happens when you're okay. married and one of, and one of your um, one of you has like an intensive knowledge of investments and skills, but your spouse doesn't? It's sometimes difficult to bring them up to speed with that and help them understand how um, the way that you've been trained economically is different. So what is what are your ideas and suggestions regarding that? Well, in, in that regard, I, I like to say you have to kind of do like an on-the-job training or walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, you know, when I was in the military, we we always had this understanding that when someone says duck, you just duck and trust that they know what they're talking about. So with that, both of you guys, you just have to kind of communicate effectively and say, look, dear, this is what I've learned about this particular thing. But you don't want to put them in a position where it's like I'm the know-it-all and you're not willing to teach them. So slow down just enough to teach them, and this will keep your speed going as far as uh, being able to move forward the investment. And just kind of walk them through the process and say, look, this is where these funds are going. This is the aim that we're uh, looking for. This is the type of return on investment that we're seeking. And explain to them the time uh, restraints that are there. You know, you know, we can't think we're going to get our return on investment back in three weeks. You may say, hey, man, this is maybe an 18-month or 12-month or 10-year uh, project. You know, Warren Buffett always said that, you know, if, you, if you're not willing to invest in something for 10 years, don't take more than 10 minutes even thinking about it. So I think just basically with that, just, you know, educate them as much as you can. Give them resources. Uh, if they're a mm-hmm. reader, give them uh, things to read in that regard. Uh, show them examples. Um, say, hey, these people here, this group did are doing or have done a similar investment that's similar to ours. And just kind of walk them through the process so that they can see how it works. But uh, the bottom line on that is still move forward. Okay, good. I have. Can I have mm-hmm. a follow-up question to that? Is it okay? One, I yes. have one other question. Is I wanted to know is um, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin and electronic currency? Uh, I am still investigating that, and just like the, the previous caller said. Um, or the same caller, um, I'm still moving. Even though I'm investigating, I'm still moving on it. I still have uh, capital deployed in Bitcoin right now uh, because I'm not the type to say, well, I got to get everything, all the ducks in a row. You know, all the green lights have to be green before I proceed. You know, successful people, we don't have to know everything. We just need to know enough to move forward. So with that, I am still investigating that. As a matter of fact, I was uh, down in Miami this past weekend at a billionaire roundtable and we actually had um, a couple of specialists that specialize in cryptocurrency. And it is definitely something I'm, I'm looking into. I'm actually looking more to, into gold and silver as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But cryptocurrency, I'm going to highly recommend start educating yourself uh, immensely in that regard because a lot of things are going to be going to cryptocurrency sooner uh, rather than later. And cash is going to kind of become obsolete. 
And the reason I said that, you know, in different circles, there's different things that are, are talked about in different circles. And the, mm-hmm. the the group that I was with this past weekend, I mean, there was a young lady who bought a college cash. So these are the type of people that I was associating with this past weekend. So uh, needless to say, they, they, they speak on different things. You know, they're, they're not talking about what happened at the club last week. They're not talking about uh, who did this on the Housewives of whatever city. There's different types of conversation, but I will tell you uh, that it, it, it is important to start um, brushing up and getting very familiar with uh, cryptocurrency. Okay, thank you so much for that. Oh, I'm so sorry, caller from Florida. She was saying thank you as well. Go ahead. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, before I ask the next, because I'm getting tons of questions <laughs> to my phone. Okay. So, uh, Warren or Ray, did you all have anything to say or um, anything to interject? Yeah, um, just, uh, yeah, Sean, um, great information, man. Great job. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you. Uh, you coming on uh, with the wealth of knowledge that you have in this field. But I just wanted to ask um, when you talk about generational wealth, um, because we have mm-hmm. generational, generational wealth, we also have generational poverty. Um, so if you have someone who comes to you and says, well, I'm interested in investing, um, I'm interested in setting something up, uh, you know, for, for the future, for my children and grandchildren, but you know, we're, we're, for the most part, we're talking about average, hardworking, everyday American citizens on a salary of fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year that depend on every penny just to get by. So, when we talk about and we hear terms like generational wealth, we we think about, you know, signing that NBA contract or that NFL contract for multiple millions of dollars. Nowadays, it's multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. But what kind of advice would you give to you know the average everyday uh, hard-working American citizen who, say, within a, a family household, um, you know, both spouses working, bringing in a hundred to one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year, which you think, you know, in 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 terms of money, you know, say, wow, that's 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 good money. But I tell you, it doesn't go that far these days, and and folks just don't have, you know, that the the extra money or the leftover money to invest as they may like to. So, what what advice would you give to them? Yeah, the, the advice I would give there, Warren, is that, you know, we have to teach our kids, particularly children that look like me, is that they can create income outside of athleticism and entertainment. You know, this, and, and that comes and that's important when it comes to teaching financial literacy. You know, I have my eight-year-old son, his name is Caden, and he has a company called Daddy Did You Know? Uh, he's in. He's going on two years in business now, where he actually has financial flashcards and activity books. Um, he came to me one day and he said, "Daddy, did you know?" And he would tell me something like, "Did you know the sky is blue?" You know, just simple stuff. And one day he came to um, me and he said, "Well, Daddy, do you know what hydrochloro something something was?" And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, um, but you tell me what it is." So when he told me, he said, well, Dad, it's the absorbent material used in diapers. So like any responsible parent, I went to Google (laughs) to verify it, and surely enough, he was correct. So he would come to me every day with different uh, types of information. I said, you know what? We need to monetize that. I said, let's create a YouTube channel for you and start um, teaching different courses about uh, finances and budgeting. So now he has uh, flashcards on banking, 
So as an example, on one side of the, the card may say uh, dividend. On the opposing side, it actually has a definition. Uh, he also has a series on real estate, and he has another series on uh, the mortgage do's and don'ts when, when buying real estate. He also has an activity book. So these are the things where it's important that we started we started uh, penetrating the minds of our children at early ages to recognize that it doesn't take um, athleticism. Or and, and you remember again when I talked about having a physical ability to perform. You know you can have this great uh, contract, but all it takes is a blown ACL and, and that's a wrap. And you know the the uh, expectancy, the sport sport life expectancy in NBA and uh, NFL is getting shorter and shorter. Uh, you know, back in the day, these guys could play for 15, 18, 20 years. Now they're down to 8 to 12 years max uh, before the body's really taking a toll on them. So, you know, when we teach the kids about uh, different things when it comes to income, and, and the biggest thing there, Warren, is exposure. One of the key things we do with our kids, we expose them to everything. I remember my dad, he would always take us, uh, to different professions. Hey, this is what a firefighter do. This is what an electrician does. This is what a neurosurgeon does. So it's so many different professions. And if if, if you all take a look at the end of a, a movie, particularly a movie with a lot of uh, like Pixar type stuff or animations, if you ever look at the credits, there are a gazillion different jobs at the end of a movie credit. You know, I just sit there and I'm watching. I'm like, dude, this is stuff that we weren't exposed to in school. You know, we're always taught, uh, you know, be a doctor or an attorney, and that's about it. You know, we didn't really learn anything else, any other professions out there. So for the average family, I think we have to get really good at being able to uh, expose our kids to different types of income. You know, we, we think about being a surgeon or a doctor. Well, what about the people that actually make medical equipment? They make even more money than the doctors. But, you know, we're just in this paradigm of thinking that we can only work certain professions. So we have to get into the idiosyncrasies and start looking at the micro level of professions and see where the money really is. So I, I think that's one of the key things that most families can do to put their kids in, in, in a position like that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have a question that was sent in as well. Um, the question mm -hmm. is, um, what about getting a loan and collateral? Would that be a bad move to just get a loan to the bank to start a small business or to start a business? Well, it, it depends on what type of business, Ramona. Um, if you can bootstrap a business, that's always really good, where you kind of pay as you go, uh, start off in incremental steps, and this way you won't have to be in debt. Uh, if you do get a loan, you have different options. You know, our first inclination is to go to a bank for a loan, but there's other methods that you can use, better tools that you can use that's a little better than going to a bank, whether you're going to angel investors, uh, deal syndication, you heard me mention that earlier. Um, and, and basically what deal syndications are, is where you actually facilitate a deal and you could be the person who don't even, you know, you don't even have the money, you don't have the capital, but you just bring the deal together. So let's say that you have, and we have to get good at using your uh, human capital and relationship capital. That's more valuable than cash capital. So based on your relationship, you can say, hey, look, uh, Bob, you have capital. 
You can go to Mary and say, Mary, you have excellent credit. Uh, Tim, you have a huge sphere of influence. So with your own network, and we've all heard it before, your network is your network. That's very true. You can now go to your network and pull together deals. And once you once your numbers are going to work, and you can take this to investors and say, hey, look, Mr. Investor, I got this business idea. I have uh, uh, capital funding. I have uh, credit funding. I have all these different things. Everything is in play. All we need is the money. So if you go to that capital investor and say, hey, look, uh, if you give me $30,000, um, I will give you 15% equity or 20%, 30% equity, whatever the equity amount is going to be, you will offer them that. Now, you know, a lot of folks, they watch Shark Tank, and I think many people watch it for entertainment, but if you really understand business, you can learn a lot from watching Shark Tank. So when you see people say, well, I'm not giving 30% equity uh, for X amount of dollars. Well, here's my thing. 40% of a watermelon is still more than 100% of a grape. So, you know, if you have a business that you're not running successfully, 100% of nothing, you know, I'd rather be in a situation where I'm going 50% equity where this person's going to now make me $5 million as opposed to the $50,000 I was making by myself. So, you know, that, that just comes with financial intelligence. But with that, you can also put yourself in a situation, uh, put yourself in a situation where you can now um, do like a stair step process. So in year number one, you may have thirty percent; they may have thirty percent equity in your business. You pay them back a little bit. Next year, they only have twenty percent. The third year, they may only have ten percent, and then the fourth year, you actually have a full buyout. So that's a very uh, smart way to get the capital that you need to start a company build it successfully with their expertise many times, and then you work your way out of that situation. So it's still a win-win-win situation. So that's what I recommend when it comes to uh, being able to, to get the capital to start a company, particularly if you don't have capital getting started. Use uh, capital partners and uh, learn a lot about bill syndication. Okay, thank you. Um, Anthony, I know that you've got questions coming in. <laughs> We have a lot of questions being sent in via um, text messages, online, and everything else. So. Super. Let's get them answered. Okay. So I, I, you know, I guess he's paused. Go ahead, Anthony. I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying to find them. I've got them coming in. Um, you said regarding debt, if your debt is more than what you make at a basic job, how can you get out of debt without struggling? to make it check the check. Like basically how can you get out so that you can start getting on the right path? Mm -hmm. First thing is stop spending. That, that's the first thing. We got to stop the, the boat from leaking. Uh, you may be in a situation where you may have to take on a second job. You know, I even tell people who are self-employed and they're like really struggling, you know, I was like, Bob, Mary, you know, go take a job. You need to take a job. Let's get out of the situation. Um, if you're in a situation where you have several credit cards or things of that nature, find the smallest credit card, get it paid off. Let's say you have a $250 balance. Let's just get that paid off. Now the $30 a month that we're paying on that credit card, we're going to apply that to the next uh, smallest credit card. Let's get that one knocked out and continue uh, doing that till you get out of debt. Because the, the number one thing, as long as you are struggling, it's going to be really hard to get out of that situation until you figure out a way 
to have cash flow coming in that's going to exceed your debt structure. So uh, we're going to stop the leak, stop the bleeding. Uh, we're going to now give care to that wound, that financial wound. And again, like I said, that, that could be getting a second job. And then here's the thing too, necessarily it doesn't have to be a second job because a lot of times people will say, well, I need to get a second job or a third job. And many times it just depends on what their situation looks like. I may tell them instead of getting a second job, get a first business. And with that, you know, there's just so many different things that you can do to create income at home now. You know, when I first got into the entrepreneurial space 22 years ago, you know, it was all about brick and mortar. But now you'll find that business owners, man, we're not trying to operate the brick and mortar business, uh, building anymore. You know, I got rid of building spaces years ago, and I operate from my phone, my computer, wherever I'm at. And, you know, I would tell people, find, you know, ask yourself, what is it that you're really good at? So you hear people say, well, well, you have to you have to build your business around your passion, and I don't believe in that. Your passion will make you broke. You know, I like fishing. I really love fishing, but there's not a lot of money in fishing, not at the level of my skill set in fishing. So, but that that could be a passion. I enjoy working out. There's not a lot of money in personal training unless you're on a celebrity level. So your passion is not necessarily what type of business you need to own. You have to. Start your business in something that you're gifted in. Well, Sean, how do I know what my gifting is? Your gifting is whatever comes extremely easy to you but hard for others. That's your gift. Now what you do is you find something in that arena to now monetize. So, you know, you may be good at a particular subject. You know, you may be good at math. You may be good in an IT field. Well, start a, a, a business in that. You can start a tutorial business. You can do an online course uh, in that field. Whatever it is you do for a profession, if you've been doing it long enough, I'm certain that you're good at it. And you can either write a book about it. You can, uh, Like I said, again, you can do courses. You can do tutorials. You can do workshops, speaking events. So this is the way that you start raising capital to get yourself out of that position and start building a business at the same time. So that would be my, my best recommendation for a person in that particular situation. But, you know, you structure it out. You have to balance it out. Put it on paper. You know, it's easy to say, uh, well, this is what I want to do, but you have to put it on paper. You have to look at the numbers, and once it's on paper, it'll, it, the paper will start talking to you, and it will guide you through the process. And uh, the key thing is mentorship. you got to get a mentor. Okay. And um, so one thing that um, – Sean had talked about when we were at the International List Tour, and once again, I want to thank, I believe Latanya is also um, listening in from California. We want to thank her for the connect because that, um, like I said, it was two days' worth of great knowledge that was dropped, and I believe L.A. is her next um, location, so we're going to drop that on our website along with um, Sean J. Harris's information as well. But one thing that really stuck with me was um, – well, and, and uh, Sean, we're getting a lot of people that's definitely saying that we need to have you all back on the show again. So uh, <laughs> let me just throw that out there. My phone is blowing up. But um, <laughs> one thing that stuck out to me, and I'd like for you to touch on that on this again, um, is the wealth um, that stays, how, how long it stays in the different communities. And then mm-hmm. um, to – to counter with that for those who do not have, who are in the process of stopping their spending, but they have those gifts that make room for them, 
um, your thoughts with bartering and how to get it started in these um, types of communities. Yes. Um, that's what, what, what um, Ramona's referring to, which is called an economic bounce. And this is what uh, group economics is all about. Economic bounce is how long money stays in a particular community before it leaves that community. In the African-American community, our economic bounce is four to six hours. So that means once we typically get money, we deploy those funds outside of our community within six hours. The Caucasian community, their um, economic bounce is around four to six days. The Asian, Arab, and Indian, their, community, their uh, economic bounce is about 10 to 12 to 14 days. And the Jewish community, their economic bounce is 19 to 21 days before the money leaves out of their community. So it is said through several uh, reports and projects that all other communities live off of 100% of their income and 90% off of African-American income. So let that sink in for a minute. All of these different nationalities who prosume and consume within their own nationalities live totally 100% off of their own income and 90% off of our income. And here's the reason why. We don't own anything. Everyone on this call within a five to six mile radius, I'm sure you have a, a uh, an Asian-owned nail shop. You have an Asian-owned restaurant. Uh, you have a package store that is not owned by a person of uh, African descent. Um, you have hotels within your city limits uh, owned by people with the last name of Patel. So there's no ownership in our community. Now, here's the deal. Are African Americans broke? Absolutely not. We spent $1.7 trillion last year. Notice I said we spent, not we made, we spent $1.7 trillion. That would make us the seventh largest country in the world if we were a country in and of itself. So it's not about not making money. It's about knowing how to use the money properly, how to, how to allow that money to work. And it goes back to those money skills I talked about. We got to know how to, how to make it, how to hold on to it, and more importantly, how to multiply it. So in business, you know, we, we, we can barter stuff, uh, as Ramona said, and it's, what bartering is, it's pretty much swap for swap. So it goes back to the old time of the, the turn of the uh, industrial age, the turn of the 19th century, where people, if I was a carpenter and you were a blacksmith, hey, you made stuff for me. If you were a blacksmith, you, you made equipment for my horses and my cattle. And if I was a carpenter, I made furniture for you in your home or for your uh, blacksmith shop. And it was just an even swap, but we both were able to capitalize. So bartering is still money, even though it's not a cash uh, exchange. So a lot of times we have to get really good at that. We have to get, and that goes back to what I was saying, Ramona, about having uh, relational capital. You know, if, if I know that you have a resource, you have a gifting then I'm going to bring you in to share your gift with my audience. At the same time, you share my gift with your audience. 
and now we now both share audiences. Now we both effectively doubled or tripled our audience space. And, you know, it, you got to be able to collaborate. And that's one thing, you know, I, th I think that's a big word that's going around the African-American community now. We're using it, but we have to really understand and know what it is. And more importantly, we have to implement it uh, and, and really start collaborating because, you know, it's like with one finger, if I point one finger and if I ram that one finger into a wall, I'm going to more likely break that finger or dislocate it. But if I put all four fingers uh, in a blade formation and I push a uh, chop a wall, I'm not going to, it's going to hurt probably, but I'm not going to break those fingers. But more importantly, when I now clench those fingers together and make a solid fist, now I can penetrate and go through the wall typically. So power comes in numbers. So that's going to be really important to uh, understand where our dollars are going. You know, still spend your money, but just redirect it. There's so many sites that I'm seeing popping up. You know, We Buy Black Convention is going to be here in Atlanta, I think, uh, next month. Um, Black economics. It's just so many different uh, tools out here right now. Um, but if we start buying from our own businesses, you know, and, and get out of the mindset of other nationalities, water or ice is colder than our ice. And that goes back to uh, the 50s and 60s for anybody that's old enough to know about that time frame. You know, we always thought that I can't buy items from an African-American business. I have to buy from a Caucasian business because of the credibility or if you want it done uh, right, do it white type mentality. So with that, you know, you don't just buy from uh, African-American person because they're African-American. You have to still be uh, in a position where you have a, a suitable product or service. You, you're giving great service. So, you know, I'm not going to buy from African-Americans just because you're African-American. That does help out, but I'm going to need for you to be up to par with any other nationality when it comes to your product and your service. That is very good. Um, I was actually shocked <laughs> when I found out that, you know, just money that I spend is only in my community for four hours. And, you know, we our, our show is definitely multicultural, but just hearing the statistics that are are going forth with, with that, that shocked me so bad. I know that we have some listeners, because um, we're in Macon, Georgia, um, we have some mm -hmm. um, listeners that are from um, Mason Black Wall Street that are also on. And one thing that I like about them is because they're able to, they, there's a group that you can sit there and go to. And before, um, it's, it's that mindset, okay, well, before I go here, let me check to see if um, I'm able to find a service within my community first. And it's not, um, and I just want to, this is my personal thought, I don't think it's, um, racial or anything such as that, um, I mm -hmm. just believe that I need to invest more into my community just because so much of my money is leaving out. Yes, I am going to be at Starbucks. Yes, I'm going to be at um, Chick-fil-A. Yes, I'm going to be at these different places. Especially, you know, you, you really stepped on my toes about that Starbucks thing and Dunkin' Donuts because <laughs> I love them both. But... Um, <laughs> But it's just so much more because I, my heart and Anthony's heart is just is to give back to our community, number one, because God has blessed us, and we want to definitely be a blessing to someone else, um, not just, mm -hmm. just all around. But we have got to start at home. We have got to start in our community because um, 
if we don't and we don't begin to share this knowledge or or things such as that um, to our youth, then it's just going to be that whole generational curse all over again. Um, whether it's mm-hmm. okay, so I ha- I had to work, and like I said, when I first started out, um, my dad was in the military. He was a, um, a master sergeant, uh, air force. Not a uh, he did the tanks and stuff like that, and he trained everybody how to do that. So he was an air force mechanic. My dad worked three okay. jobs. Uh, my mom also worked two jobs the majority of the time, but she wasn't raising us. So my parents have always said to me. Oh, you know, I, we work so that you don't have to work this hard. And you know, they grew up in between Chicago and Mississippi, um, where you know, they, in the times where they had the civil rights movement and things such as that. So, as a child, well, I I'm looking at my parents and I'm like, well, I don't want to work. I don't want them to have to. Um, I, I want to instill the same thing with my kids. I'm going to work two jobs, three jobs, or whichever, so that way my parents don't, you know, my kids don't have to work as hard. But what I did was created something generational. It wasn't necessarily a bad thing, um, you know, because my children's work ethic is excellent. However, um, I have a few of the the kids listening on tonight, but it created, you know, that same thing. Oh, I need to go work, go work overtime. I need to go get a second job so that way I can have additional funds to be able to do this, you know, X, Y, Z, or whatever. And that's what I love about, you know, what you're talking about this evening is, you know, basically saying, hey, you might start out with a nine-to-five, but you don't have to stay there. Um, Take some of the funds that you are, excuse me, that you're making and put it to the side to invest. Um, Anthony was talking to the kids especially like what you were saying about the duplexes and the quadplexes, okay? So if you mm-hmm. go buy this portion um, or go buy a duplex, you live on one side and then let, and let the other side pay for it, and then um, you don't have to worry about that payment, and then you can find something else to go into the next investment list. So it's a lot of great information that is coming forth this evening, and I'm so happy that you were able to – to take time out of your schedule and just to impart um, your knowledge back into us and back into your community as well. So um, I know that there's some more questions that are coming through. So um, Anthony mm-hmm. or Warren or Ray, I'm, I'm going to stop talking because, <laughs> you know, I, okay. they, they tell me all the time I'm a show, I take over the show all the time, but um, I want to make <laughs> sure that I give everybody else an opportunity. And um, so I'm going to go back on mute. Go ahead, guys. All right. I'm bringing yeah, another Anthony? caller on. Oh, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead and go ahead and take the caller. I'll follow up after. Okay. And bring a caller in from Florida. Caller from Florida, you are on. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, Sean, appreciate all the wise words. I had a, a question hey, on you're welcome. student loan. What, what what do you suggest? Um, how should one handle student loans? Say roughly between eighty to a hundred thousand. Should I wait on a new president to forgive all of that, or? That's a big one. That is a big one. Um, well, the biggest way, and and you know, student loans are like way out there as far as the amounts nowadays. Uh, the, the the best thing I would say with that 
and it's gonna it's gonna be up to your personal preference and also your risk index. And what I mean by that is what is your comfort level of kind of putting it on hold for a minute or just being able to do the minimum uh, payment or defer that so that you can put a business system in place uh, to be able to start paying that off. Um, uh, an amount of that sort is actually equivalent to a mortgage. So here's an option that I would recommend. Again, put yourself in a situation where you, if you look at a triplex or a quadplex, look at one of those tenants as being a source of paying down that um, student loan tax, um, debt. So I, and I know that's a large amount, that's a lot, but as far as something aggressive, that's what I would recommend going into uh, a real estate holding where you can kind of pay that off pretty quick. Now, I know that hole is already in that boat, but for subsequent generations, I'm going to give you and all the listeners some sound advice on, on student loans. Um, culturally, again, uh, in the African-American community, we've always been told, I'm not serving in no, in that man's military. Well, I have a background in Air Force. My wife has a background in the Navy. Um, I just didn't care to go to college, so I never utilized my uh, military benefits for that. But that's one thing my wife and I do. We, we sit down and we talk to couples all the time to show them how to fund their children's or grandchildren's education uh, without owing a single penny. And that is, of course, to go to the military. Uh, and my order of uh, preference would be the Air Force first, Navy second, Coast Guard third, and I would stop right there. <laughs> now, I love all my Army and Marine brothers but, and sisters, but uh, let's just keep it real right now. Uh, Sunday mornings when you watch the national news and they show how many uh, military personnel have, have lost their life in that week, you always see Army Marines, Army Marines, Army Marines. You almost never see an airman who lost their life due to uh, uh, military conflict. And that's if you do see it, I mean, golf. that's right. We're, we're out, there, out there doing other things. <laughs> so, and, you know, I, I always joke around about the answer. I tell people, you know, if you see an, air, an airman who died military-related, it's because they were in the supply room and a ton of boxes fell on their head or something silly like that, you know. So, uh, and, and, and another reason why I, I choose those two branches or three branches Ooh. is that you have a you have a higher selection of – uh, opportunities and options. You know, a lot of most of the people I know that went to the Army and Marines, unfortunately, they get jobs like uh, either diesel mechanic, infantry, things that can't really translate into civilian sector once they get out. Um, like I say, in the Air Force, uh, I was aerospace propulsion specialist. I think I can get out and work for Delta. I can work for NASA. I could have done anything like that. Uh, we're in Navy, same thing. They're big in uh, radar, nuclear type stuff, things that can translate into money outside. But here's the deal with that. When you're in the military, you, you're going to get a professional skill, a skill set. So as I told you, I have a background in aeronautics. That was a skill set that they gave me absolutely free other than service to the country. While I was in the military, I could have elected to go to college while I was in the service for entirely different career path. So let's say I wanted to be a dentist. I could have went to school while I'm in the Air Force to be a dentist. Then when I got out of the military, I still had 
um, my GI Bill that I could have utilized to take another profession. So let's say I wanted to go into engineering or I wanted to be just whatever. So effectively in a six to eight year period of time, I could have had three highly profitable skill sets without paying a single penny for it. So this is why I, I recommend the military uh, for those who want their kids or grandkids to uh, attain a college education. Uh, if you're going to college anyway, you might as well do it for free. And uh, at the same time, all of the uh, benefits that we both get from the military today and that we'll always get for life is incredible. Uh, both my wife and I both independently, that is another stream of income that we get for the rest of our lives through the military. So, you know, we can't go on what they, the committee of they said about the military, what they said about uh, working this type of a career. So you have to be able to research stuff for yourself, uh, become educated so that you can make a good sound decision. But, you know, don't just go based on what other people are, are telling you. So um, that's what I recommend as far as kind of knocking down that, that student loan debt is to put yourself in a position uh, where, like I said, you may need to, uh, JV or uh, joint venture partner with other investors to be able to acquire some type of income producing asset being the real estate and start paying that um, that college debt off as soon as possible. And if you're in a position where you can kind of pay on that a little bit, but build a business system in conjunction with the real estate holding, that'll accelerate uh, your journey as far as being able to have uh, discretionary income to be able to do the cool things you want to do um, in life. So hopefully that helps you out there. It did. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. I have a, another question. Yes, I have another question that came through, and you sort of answered it, um, a part of it. So here's a question from a caller in Georgia, and it reads, I had um, to fight my way back to life after a divorce. My credit is awesome. I have no debt besides a student loan. I pay $127 a month for student loans because I'm under a student loan forgiveness as I work for the state, and I just got a raise. We, I'm always excited for raises. <laughs> All right, so my highest expense is my rent, but I can't move from this area because of the school district. I was under contract to buy a home under the VA, but the appraisal fell short of asking of the asking price. So the deal fell through as the seller did not want to sell at the appraised value. I will be setting up the, an LLC next week to launch my book, which I will run like a business. And I'm now thinking it will be better that I invest in a multifamily property and buy a home for me later. What would you suggest I do first? invest in a property to live in or a multi-apartment unit? And under the VA, um, do you know if I can do either? That is an excellent question, and you are in an excellent position, uh, being that uh, your debt structure first and you had great credit, uh, and with the VA loan, I, my order, I would rent, uh, I mean, buy the investment property first, maintain where you're living, and get the property. Because a lot of times, now let me explain too, an asset puts money in our pocket, a liability takes money out of our pocket. Most people tend to think that a house 
is a asset when in fact it is not. It is a liability. Uh, if you go to your bank, when you look at the spreadsheet, they'll clearly show you that it's a, a liability. But when you're getting the home loan, they tell you that it's an asset, but it's really a, a liability because it takes money out of your pocket. If something happens with the heater, the water heater, the furnace, what have you, air conditioning, that's taking money out of your pocket. Uh, just by you living in the home, there's no money coming into the home as a result. So utilize the opportunity to buy an investment property where you're going to have cash flow coming in that will take care of the property itself plus incidentals and also uh, secure the bag, as the young folks say, uh, to be able to keep a profit. Um, so that, that's what I would do first. Uh, Grant Cardone, he, he's a huge real estate guru down in Miami, and he says the same thing. He says, rent where you live and own what you rent. So being in that uh, situation, you're, you're in a very good situation. If you have great credit, you may even be in a position where you can use some different creative uh, financing options to purchase that multifamily unit and hold on to your VA loan a little longer. Uh, for, for anyone on the call that's a veteran or you have family that are, that are veterans, uh, your VA loan can also be used to start a company. A lot of people don't know that. The VA don't uh, just readily give you that information, but in fact, uh, you may be able to use different options to, to purchase a home, as I said, and use that for uh, some different projects. Uh, with the book as well, you definitely want to run that as a business. Um, and we can talk offline also uh, as far as how you're putting the book together. If it's already together, if you're self-publishing uh, versus Amazon route. My very first book I wrote uh, like 12, 13 years ago, I went the Amazon route. Uh, I don't recommend that any longer uh, for the fact that they take about 45% of your profit. And there's already not a ton of money in book writing. That's more so as a marketing and leveraging tool. Um, but there's, there's so many different ways where you can uh, keep a large, like 80 to 90% of your profit. So um, what, what I would do is I would go ahead and invest in the cash-producing asset before you focus on the house where you're going to live. And also just one thing at the close out of that question, um, with the military and you're going to have to use your own discretion, I'm just going to tell you what the rule book says. Uh, if you're going to use your VA loan uh, and usually FHA, FHA loan, you typically have to live in the property for a certain period of time. Uh, there are different creative ways to, to work that to where you, you don't necessarily have to live physically in the property but still show uh, ownership and evidence that you do live in the property. So, again, that can be a, a offline discussion that we can have. So hopefully that answers your question. Hey, uh, Sean, just to chime in too. Um, mm -hmm. I might, I might need to have an offline discussion about that because currently, um, the house that I'm in, I run a, my mortgage is ran off of a VA loan, so I'm kind of okay. intrigued. Um, seeing as to how I had recently got my business name and tax ID and control number established just this month, um. Mm -hmm. I'm just interested in talking about that a little later, you know, beyond this discussion. Okay. Sounds good. And, and Sounds that's good. a perfect time for just a quick pause just for a moment because I know we're just, this in, everybody's writing stuff down. So while everybody's writing <laughs> stuff down, Sean, if somebody needs to, 
book a session with you or get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do so? Mm-hmm. Uh, several options. Uh, my website is Sean J. Harris. That's S-E-A-N, the letter J, Harris.com. Uh, I have different consultation options on there. Also, I uh, have books and courses available on there. Also, uh, I want to offer two free gifts to every listener that's listening in here and may listen on a replay. Uh, if you text 555-888 and the keyword is billion with a B, billion, that will give you my free financial uh, video course. And also, a second free gift I want to give your listeners is uh, my ebook called Eco- uh, Economic Power. And they can find that at SeanJHarrisAcademy.com. And, again, that's S-E-A-N, the letter J, HarrisAcademy.com. And you can also reach me directly through my email. That will be a good way to hit me uh, directly at CEO at SeanJHarris.com. I love it, especially that CEO right before Mm -hmm. your name. I love that part. That's, that's right. If if anyone is in the Atlanta area or will be in Atlanta on next Saturday, no, not next Saturday, two weeks from yesterday, the 24th of August, I'll be speaking at the Glambitious Entrepreneurial Conference here in Atlanta. Uh, that's going to be at 3900 Aviation Circle in uh, northwest Atlanta. That'll be 9 a.m. that Saturday. Um so that's going to be an incredible, amazing event. And we're going to also ensure that we um, post your information on We The People website and also um, okay. some of the partner ones that we have, which is uh, my Sisters Empowerment Network, run by yours truly, and also Fat um, Nerdy as well. So we are um, going to be posting, make sure that everybody has your information um, to be able to contact you or to find out what events that you have in the area. I know, I believe you were down in Florida recently as well. So um, yes. I know that um, Sean J. Harris is everywhere. So we will make sure. <laughs> uh, my, I'm telling you, my phone is blowing up. There's so much information that's coming out. Um, we got people saying that we need to get you down to Florida. We got um, other people saying that they're passing this information on. Um, Anthony, if you're still on, for the people that are going to be listening to this um, show again, how what is the best way for them to do so since we are um, talking about this right now? Um, all the links that I have posted on social media, they'll continue on even after the show is over with. They can also catch us. We are podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, on social media, you can catch the link for it. We are at We the People RDIO. Feel free to follow along, shoot us inboxes. I mean, whatever we got to do to get it to you, this is good stuff, and nobody should be left behind on it. Okay, and I think Warren had something that he was trying to say before the caller hat came in. Yeah, thanks. Um, I was just um, I just want to talk, Sean. Um, my background is in credit administration, and um, okay, the importance of credit. I was on the show a couple of times over the last two or three years, and. Um, had some discussions mm-hmm. about the importance of of of, <laughs> of, uh, of of establishing and maintaining good credit. So, just wanted to mm-hmm. um, 
you know, if you can just discuss that a little bit. Um, one of the callers had talked about it. Fortunately, she was in a situation where she said that her credit was was pretty good. But as you know, uh, Sean, as as well as all as 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 better as as, as all of us, perhaps is. That's not the case for us, especially in the black community. It's just something that, in my opinion, from what I've seen and, and you know, from what I've gathered, it's just something that's not taught. Not, they're not, we're not educated properly on it. We don't know the importance of it. We don't uh, oftentimes even have the credit that we should. A lot, of, a lot of us look at it as a negative when credit should actually be looked at as a positive. So just wanted your, mm-hmm. your opinion on, on credit in general, establishing, maintaining good credit and the importance of it. Yes, that, that's a great point, Warren. Um, you know, we always have negative connotations in our community about uh, credit. And, you know, we, we've all had either people in our family, I know I have, uh, who said, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna put my, my electric bill in the kid's name. We're going to use the middle name first, first name last, and so forth like that. And what you're doing is you're, you're destroying that credit. Now, we shouldn't run from credit. Credit is your friend. It's the, the, the biggest leveraging tool that you can have. And as you said, you know, most of the time we're not taught the importance of establishing, building, and maintaining good credit. And, you know, credit can be started as early as the age of 12. And that, that's why I would tell everybody, get your children LLC at 12 because this gives them an opportunity to start building business credit. So when they're 16, they're in, a, in an incredible space to be able to do some powerful leveraging when it comes to real estate at the age of 16. So, you know, just imagine instead of handing your key, your kids keys to a car at 16, how about handing them a key to a piece of real estate? You know, that, that's going to be more powerful. So, uh, you know, with that, the credit is important. You have to maintain it. Now, a lot of times people can be in situations where they're like, well, Sean, I, I don't use credit. Uh, everything is cash. But you still should use credit. To a degree, so that you can maintain uh, a good, decent FICO score to be able to do the things. Because see, when you when you have good credit, you pay less for things. You know what I'm saying? It's like if if you um, it gives you an opportunity to leverage better. And let, let me give you a great example. If if you buy a house for fifty thousand dollars as an investment property with all the cash that you have on hand, you know this equals zero leverage. But if you buy a hundred thousand dollar investment property with fifty thousand dollars with cash that you have on hand, and you use the rest uh, financing method that you borrowed the $50,000, now that equals 50% leverage. So now you've only used 50% of the money instead of buying, but you got twice as much in, in uh, leverage. So, you know, maintaining that, that good score is important. And when, when you don't use credit, your credit score actually drops. And a lot of times people don't understand that. So it's like, man, I, I had a I had a 690. Now all of a sudden it dropped down to a 640. Well, it's that you're not using credit. And all credit does, it allows your lenders uh, an opportunity to see your history and how well you deal with credit. So let's say that you get a, um, a, a credit card, whether it's a secure credit card or just a standard credit card. But let's say if you use a secure credit card because you want to build credit or reestablish your credit, well, whatever you're going to buy anyway that month, you can put it a lot of that on the credit card and then just pay the credit card off with the debit card that you were typically going to use that month anyway. So this starts building your credit. But the most important thing I can share with you about credit, and Warren will agree with me on this, is don't go over the 30% threshold. 
You know, you get a credit card for $1,000, and the first thing everyone wants to do is, man, I got $1,000. I'm going to run this credit card up and get $1,000 worth of items. Well, the credit card company looks at you as a high risk. So they may even increase your le uh, limit a little bit step by step as you keep paying it back, but it's not helping your credit score. So if you have a $1,000 credit card, stay under the 30%. So spend $300 a month, pay it back off at the end of the month, and then keep it moving that way. And that way, you're going to start building a strong credit line. Yeah, thanks, Sean, for touching on that. And you're absolutely right, because as an underwriter, you know, I don't look at, uh, you know, Sean. I, I, all I see is I see my, my uh, concern is what is the risk? You know, what, what are you, what are you bringing? Mm -hmm. What are you putting before me? How are we going to mitigate this risk? Are you a good risk? Or are you a bad risk? And I think I touched on this a couple of times on the show that um, it doesn't matter, you know, what bank you go to. When you come to them for a loan, it doesn't matter whether or not you've been a, a client of theirs for 10, 20, 30 years. It's all about the risk. And if an underwriter mm -hmm. sees a bad risk, they're going to pass on it. It doesn't matter who you are. So um, th thanks for pointing that out, and I appreciate the uh, the background on that. Exactly. Well, one thing I want to put out there, too, for the listeners, um, insurance. Insurance is critically important. This is how all different communities establish huge wealth from generation to generation. You know, if we have a job, we, we can't leave a job to our kids. You know, I could never go to my son and daughter and say, hey, look, here's my strikes from the military. Here's my strikes from law enforcement, just go right down to the uh, department and take over where dad left off. They got to look at him and laugh and say, no, you didn't start at the beginning, just like your dad did. So with insurance policies, you know, you have to understand the difference between uh, term insurance, whole life insurance, universal insurance. It's just so many different tools that you can use. And you notice the conversation I keep referring to the word is tools. Tools are items that make a job easy. So, you know, you want to be able to leverage tools for your advantage. So with real uh, insurance, this is an opportunity, and I want to give you an example. Uh, again, and I, I think I'm qualified to speak about our community too, because I've been African-American for 47 years, so I think I'm a, a good advocate to be able to speak on it. In our community, we oftentimes call for uh, a crowdfunding or GoFundMe, of course, when someone in the family passes. All right, we gotta we gotta bury Uncle Willie and and we, we need to raise up some money. Well, GoFundMe is not insurance. Let's just put it that way. So if you're in a position, and this is gonna require a mature conversation amongst the family, it has to be done with good intent, with good spirit, and in love. But I think that every family needs to come together. We we, we have family reunions. We do electric slide. We drink and eat and have fun. But at some point when we have family gatherings, we have to come together and have a discussion. Thanksgiving is coming up soon. This discussion needs to be had in uh, all households, but particularly households that look like I do. And that discussion needs to uh, look like this. We need to talk about the matriarch and the patriarch of the family. As a responsible matriarch and patriarch of a family, if I am the oldest person in my family, I'm going to instruct all kids and grandkids to have an insurance policy on me. If you have one policy on great-great-grandma, great-great-grandpa, when they pass, it's probably just enough to put them in the ground or and maybe pay off a few little knick-knack bills here and there. So instead, 
I would instruct all the kids to have a policy on me. Take out quarter million dollar policy, half million dollar policy, whatever kind of policy you want to take. So when that time comes, which is inevitable, everyone in the family can elevate financially. But with that, it's going to come with the education. You have to educate people what to do with wealth. It's like, you know, if you, if you all of a sudden come into a lot of money, but you don't have the mindset to go with it, you're going to end up losing it. But insurance is a powerful tool to turn around generational wealth in this current generation. It doesn't take three or four generations from now to start establishing wealth. Um, so, again, that's a conversation that needs to be had in families. Um, you know, I, I would say great, great, great. I'm not trying to knock you off or anything, but as a physical uh, responsibility and fiduciary responsibility to the family, let's make sure that we set it up properly so that everyone can now chip in 500,000 bucks and make sure that uh, we have a great uh, send off from memorial service, what have you. But now each family can now come up. And with that money, if I was to make sure out the family, you know, I already have uh, advanced directives for my children that they have to acquire real estate property with that money. It's not for them to go out and buy a yacht and go out and ball out of control, but it's to continue building onto the legacy. And that's one of the most important tools uh, that you can use when building generational wealth. That's awesome. I'm sorry. We do have another caller. Um, All right. Let's see. Caller, you are on. You can go ahead. Hey, appreciate it. Um, good evening, everyone, uh, to the host and to the host, excuse me, and the uh, speakers for the evening. Quick question for you, um, and this is for either, I guess, Sean or Warren, uh, whoever probably has the most insight or even personal opinions on the situation. While we're talking about building wealth, either personally or generationally, or even as a community, one of the issues that I, I deeply have a, a just a uh, disdain for, I, I cannot stand it, is anytime our community especially wants to follow the get-quick-rich scheme, uh, most times in the form of, of uh, MLM or pyramids uh, schemes or tactics or anything, so I guess I want to ask to, to Sean and or Warren, what is your opinion um, as wealth experts, as financial experts, on the different MLM schemes, pyramid schemes, get-rich-quick ideas? I mean, maybe I shouldn't call them schemes because there are some people who are very passionate about them. Uh, they're quick to you know, invite you to a seminar that says, hey, look at this top 1% driving uh, these cars and flying in these jets and visiting these places. You too can be like that, but only if you act now. And we're going to reduce the price for your enrollment uh, to to four ninety nine versus one thousand dollars. You know, I once went to one of these seminars, uh, and I asked the guy presenting. I won't name the company, uh, but I asked the guy who was presenting, like, "Hey, if you are so certain that within six months I'm going to become a, a thousandaire, millionaire, on my road to a billionaire, if you're so confident and you feel like, hey, you know, I met you." Uh, in, a, in a store, and I just I heard it in your voice, I saw it in you that you can be great at this. If you're so comfortable with me, how about you just go ahead and front that money for me? And you know you're going to get it back because I'm <laughs> going to do so well in, in this. And that's the quickest way to get escorted out of the room, so to speak. So, But we, we see so many people who are, hey, if you, if you want $25 uh, 
put a thumbs up in my in, in, in my text and inbox me. And the next thing you know is, hey, meet me here at the Holiday Inn Express next week, and uh, we'll talk about how you can flip houses or how you can sell this. Or right now, the new thing is CBD oil. Um, mm-hmm. And this goes all the way back to, to Amway and other things that our people, our communities, are just so quick to jump on these. What is your opinion as, as a financial expert on, on this line of, hey, we got to do better financially, but we don't want to put in the work the right way? And then, you know what, for mm-hmm. heaven's sake, some of us don't have the time. Some of us don't have the, the resources. I know you talked about, hey, you can do it if you just – you can get it if you eat a bologna sandwich instead of trying to go out and eat steak. But there are some situations mm-hmm. in, in some in that middle of the road that there are some people who are just not able to do such right now. But we'll quickly give up that one ninety nine to become uh, a thousand there overnight. Right. This, this is Sean. I'm going to answer. I'm going to give a brief answer because I like to hear what Warren has to say on that topic too. Um, I, I've actually been in a multi level marketing. Uh, I've been in one of the original old school ones. Uh, so I'm pretty sure you probably know which one that is. Um, I think that multi-level marketing, more so the more traditional, the old school one, and I'll just go ahead and put it out there. I was in a Amway Quickstar uh, many, many years ago. I, I've done very well in it, achieved uh, good levels of success financially. Um, for the masses of the people, a reputable multi-level marketing is a good tool as far as uh, the educational aspect to get your feet wet. And here's why I say that. Most reputable MLMs, they have a educational system where they either have like a book of the month program, uh, audio material, and most of the books will be, uh, it'll be a, a continuity between different multi-level marketing. They, they share the same type books, books like Napoleon Hill type books, John Maxwell books. So when it comes to that, uh, the education, the foundation to start understanding the entrepreneurial mindset, that aspect is good. Uh, more so recently, as you said, a lot of people in our community are bomb rushing all of the the, the overnight type multi-level marketing. And the thing about business, and a lot of people say, well, I own a corporation. I'll say, what is it? Well, oh, excuse me. Uh, they may say, well, I sell CBD oil or I sell travel, and I'm not knocking any of these organizations. But you want to be able to have a business that when I come back to you in five years, ten years from now, you're still doing the same business. It's not that I'm on the, the next fly-by-wire uh, fad or uh, business that, that's cool today. Uh, you want to be able to have a uh, – and, and here, here's how you just if you have a, a true business. A true business, you have a product or service that everyone needs, will be used up, and must be replenished. So – you know, my wife and I, when, when we do a lot of events, uh, vending events for the kids, companies, and so forth, we look at different businesses, and in our community, we tend to stick to the same type of business. Either we'll get in, like, the the, the big jewelry uh, MLO business, we'll get into business where we're selling trinkets and knickknacks. We're not selling a product or service that's empowering people um, educationally, uh stuff like that that's going to that's gonna really matter to help you grow. So in our community, we have to form more traditional businesses, a business with a, uh, a system-driven business, something that has a viable product. You know, we, we, we can't just say, I want to own a wing shack. We can't just say, I want to own uh, something really simple. How about saying, hey, I sell uh, attachments that go on camera stands. 
You know what I'm saying? Something that's a real manufacturing production type business. You know, I, I, I make widgets that go on aircraft parts or something like that. So we, we have to get out of the overnight success on be quick, get rich quick. Because business just doesn't, it doesn't operate that way. You got to spend in your sweat equity uh, and, and the work necessary to build a successful business. So in that regard, you know, a lot of people are going to fall into that category. You know, if you remember the movie Coming to America, uh, where the guy said, you know, somebody got to wash the lettuce and ultimately you'll be on the fries. Someone has to do every particular thing. So I wouldn't mentally exhaust myself or get emotionally drained on that type of um, industry or people that's nagging you to do it. It's just say, hey, you know what, it's not for me, and I will continue moving on to a more lucrative and sound business system, system-driven business. Yeah, and, and uh, I was – it's funny that the caller brought that up because um, – I was just recently approached by someone that I know uh, to get into, you know, this, this particular, what in all, in all essence, this multi-level marketing business, but what I do like about it or did like about this one in particular, and, and I've been approached by, by many of them and I didn't like any of them, but this particular one I do like because um, for, for, for starters, it's, it's black owned. And number two, it teaches, it actually teaches financial literacy. So, in this particular uh, business that I was approached uh, to become a part of, uh, you sign up for their financial literacy course, you enroll in, into their credit monitoring program, uh, you're assigned a credit coach. So it's, it's more than just, you know, like selling soap door to door or laundry detergent or vacuum cleaners or something like that. This is actually a teaching uh, uh, opportunity. And it doesn't hurt too that this particular business does have a A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. So I'm, I was encouraged by that. I still don't have all the details and I, and I still haven't gone to uh, the seminar because like I said, this is something that was just recently brought to me as, as an opportunity. But um, as I'm investigating into it, it is in my wheelhouse, uh, like, like I said, which is in the, the credit arena, uh, in the underwriting arena. So I'm going to take a look at it and uh, see what it, you know, see what it has to offer, you know, but if they start talking, you know, all this noise about investing this amount of money with them and like, like the caller said, you know, seeing videos of their top salesmen driving around in Bentleys and Rolls Royces, you know, I, I may look at that mm -hmm. as a red flag, but is it, is it, is it something, I mean, I'm sure there are some people that are very good at it that are benefiting and, and profiting from it, but if 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 it doesn't pass the smell test, then yeah, I'm out of there. But like I said, I was encouraged uh, by the fact that they do have that A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And to be honest, I I like what I heard uh, up front when they started talking about teaching people and and bringing to people's attention, you know, things like credit, assigning credit coaches, uh, teaching financial literacy, and all of these things that that we're missing. So yeah, I'm gonna take a look at it, but be cautious, of course. But um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All right, caller. Anything else? Oh no, I didn't. No, I was still live. Um, oh. no, no, no. That that that's kind of a you know what I was trying to hear. Uh, just the, the opinions and thoughts, and, and 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 to both of you all's credit, yeah, you know every one of those um, ideas is not a 
scam or it is not a scheme. There there are definitely some reputable ones out there. Um, but then, mm-hmm. you know, there are times where things get saturated. You know, uh, you know. again, I don't knock anybody trying to make an extra dollar. Uh, but just like Warren said, you know, it's got to pass the smell test, and then you've got to be legit in what you're doing. You know what? Hey, if six out of ten women want to sell $5 uh, paparazzi jewelry on their Facebook Live, then go for it. If somebody's buying it from you, congratulations. Um, but when someone is approaching me about a certain, you know, company or group, uh, but the first thing I don't mind is, hey, go talk to all of your family members and close friends and tell them to pay you $99 a month and, and, and you can do this for them. You know, that's that's when, you know, like, how many of your family and friends have done that and are successful, and how many of those family and friends have uh, uninvited you to Thanksgiving because you pretty much screwed them out of some money? You know, those are the ones that we have to be, be careful mm-hmm. of. If everybody wants to go on Amazon and buy a, a, a screen printer for T-shirts, uh, then so be it. But don't come trying to sell it to me for thirty dollars when it's a you know a two dollar T-shirt just because you know you know uh, Candy's Creations um, again make your money. But just we have to be careful about how we approach the scenario of making money, especially in our community, with a, a not so deserving or proper. Uh, business acumen. Right. And I, I, I agree with you said with uh, the, the biggest thing is to be able to teach, like I said, teach our community, especially at a young age, to be able to uh, recognize real business opportunities, true system-driven business opportunities. And when that financial acumen is up to par, you know, you, you understand the literacy of finances and, and how to speak the language, I think you'll, you'll find that different people approach you. Because I noticed um, after I got away from that type of business, like these 10 years ago, I guess, I would always have people to approach me, but I don't get people to approach me anymore because they see, okay, Sean is on a whole nother level of business on a, on a global scale. So it's like uh, he wouldn't even be interested in that. So I, after a while, I looked at it and I was like, wow, I guess that's a compliment that you see that. I'm above that, and I hope you take that the right way. It's not that I'm above doing multi-level marketing, but when they see you on a different level, then you start having business partners and, and different people that come to you and say, hey, look, I'm looking at going into this uh, co-op space. I'm looking for some partners to go with me. Now they're coming at you with viable uh, brick-and-mortar or structured-type businesses that is, you know, you're looking for longevity. It's not just a fly-by-night. You know, if, you, if you're going to start a, a business renting out co-op space, you know, that's going to be a for, for the long haul because that's where businesses are going now where they're not getting a brick and mortar and they're going toward uh, office space. So teaching the kids um, that financial literacy is important. And, and it's also important for the, for the parents to learn because if the parents aren't equipped with the information, they're going to keep feeding the same bad oatmeal to the kids. And the grandkids, you know, Ron, and I shared this with uh, Ramona and uh, Anthony at the conference I was at. You know, there was this little girl. She watched her mom cutting the butt end of the ham off before she cooked it, and she threw it away. And she said, "Mom, why why do you throw the butt end of the ham away?" And she said, "Because uh, Grandma did. If you want to know, go ask her." So she went and called Grandma. Hey, Grandma, why do you cut? Uh, why do your mom cut the butt end of the ham off? She said, "Well, geez, I saw my mom do it. If you want to know, go ask Great Grandma." So the little girl called Great Grandma. Great grandma, 
Mom cut the butt in on the hand. My friend once did it, and she said, you did. Why do you do that? And she said, girl, so the doggone thing will fit in the pan. So I say that to say is that we do things traditionally <laughs> just because we've seen or heard it done. So, we, you know, at some point, just like we talked about generational wealth, we had to stop the generational curse uh, of poverty in our family, and we do that by educating them. And uh, just to kind of throw out another uh, a shameless plug here, my son, Caden, has an incredible, incredible course that he launched a couple weeks ago. Uh, it can be found at his website, which is daddydidyouknow.com. Daddydidyouknow.com is a uh, course on financial literacy, budgeting. It's an amazing course for kids as young as three or four years old, and it's also effective for adults because uh, a lot of times at his events, he's he started to educate and teach adults. And they are amazed to see at the things that he knows at an, as an eight-year-old that they find themselves as 20, 30, 40-year-olds who don't know that information or was just never taught that information. So uh, check out his website at daddydidyouknow.com. You can find uh, all his information on there, uh, activity card, uh, flashcards, activity books, courses, all kind of stuff like that. So I think that's going to that's gonna be the start to create generational wealth. I absolutely love it. Um, I know that we got about maybe three more minutes before we are going to be um, kicked off the show. Oh, two minutes. Okay. (laughs) Well, we definitely want to thank um, Sean J. Harris for joining us this evening and also um, Warren because he's always willing to come in and join with us um, every time we ask. So we also thank you. And also Ray for joining in with us tonight. We're going to have all website information on as well. Also, um, we don't want to forget special shout out also to Latanya Washington and making this connect with us um, with the International List Tour. Also, check her out at thelisttour.com. LA dates will be September 20th and 21st in LA. Um, also, keeping Mikey and his family in prayer tonight. Mikey, we miss you um, oh so much. Oh so much. Oh so much. Um, but with that, I'm going to go ahead and let these closing remarks go to Anthony. Go ahead and bring it home. Sean, I just want to say thank you. We really appreciate it so much, so much. God willing, the creek don't well, rise, as they say in the country. Uh, hopefully we can get you back on here someday and do this again. Absolutely. Because, I mean, we're looking at everything lined up in here, and it's and, and, and people have been getting it tonight. So that's good stuff. Um just send all your information to me, and I'll make sure we get it posted up on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere we possibly can. Thank you, everybody. Same bat time, same bat channel next week. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Good night. Oh, thank you. One more thing, Anthony. One more thing. Okay. And the classic oh. Sean J. Harris uh, statement. You haven't reached financial freedom until you're able to sign the front and the back of your check. That's it right <laughs> That's it. That's how I want to end my closing statement. All right. Good night, everybody, and we will see you next week. Same back channel, same back signal. I think that's what he said. Good night. (laughs) Good night. Good night, everybody.